Thank you for listening to Therapy for Guys. My name is Kike Autry, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in Katy, Texas. In this podcast, I want to explore the issues that men stay silent about, our struggles with anxiety and depression, our relationship issues, obstacles that we face with a diagnosis like ADHD or autism or OCD, and our big existential crises, those related to spirituality and religion, to larger cultural realities, and to the question of the meaning of life. If you enjoy this podcast and you would like to learn more about me, I would encourage you to check out my website. You can find it at kikeautry.com. That's Q-U-I-Q-U-E-A-U-T-R-E-Y.com. I would love to hear from you. I would love to connect. And as always, remember, continue the conversation. This is a very special episode exploring Byung Chohan's The Agony of Eros. Three scholars and one psychotherapist explore various themes from the book. We have Elizabeth Schilling, who has a PhD in religious studies and is pursuing her second PhD in philosophy. We have Barry Taylor, who is a theologian and philosopher specializing in radical theology and Eric Butler, who's a scholar and translator. He's translated many of Byung Chohan's book, including the one that we talk about, The Agony of Eros. And you have me in the conversation, a psychotherapist uh, who brings in philosophy and various different ideas into his practice. Uh, this is a really interesting conversation. It goes in a lot of different directions. I don't want to give away too much because I really want you to enjoy it. Um, I think you'll really, I think you'll really like it. Uh, there were a lot of different perspectives, uh, even some healthy disagreement and back and forth. Um, overall, we loved the book, but we definitely had some things that we struggled with, and I can't wait for you to hear more about that. Um, I'm hoping this is the first of many book discussions like this exploring Bjorn Chohan's work. I think the the, the next one is going to be on his book, Capitalism and the Death Drive. And that'll be in about a month or so, and I'll be excited to share that when it comes out. Thanks so much for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode in this format. And as always, continue the conversation. Well, this is so exciting to have uh, three people on this episode of Therapy for Guys, where we're going to be discussing Byung Chohan's The Agony of Eros. Uh, this is the first time I've had so many people on, so we'll have to kind of navigate the conversation. But I'm really excited about connecting with everyone. And I thought maybe before we start discussing the book, uh, each of you could maybe just spend a couple moments just talking about who you are, what you're up to, and then we can jump into the discussion. Sure. Eric, do you want to start? I'm, I'm, All right, I'm maybe I first. should. Yeah. <laughs> well, my name is Eric Butler, and I translated this book Yay. and four uh, others by Byung Chul Han. Although he's written um, a whole bunch more, and a I'm bunch. not responsible for rendering them in English. But I have translated a lot of uh, other things, uh, some two dozen books, and I've written a few of my own. Um, the first being a a study of martial representations of language in the 16th and 17th centuries, which is fairly obscure. But then uh, to make up for that, uh, the two crowd pleasers on vampires and uh, most recently a book uh, called The Devil and His Advocates, which is, of course, about Satan and uh, how he's a misunderstood figure, uh, both in uh, the Bible and in the rest of culture. Uh, basically, his uh, purpose is to serve as a touchstone of truth, I argue. That's fascinating. I I, I want to check out that book sometime. It, it sounds really interesting. Barry, Barry, do you want to go next? Oh, sure. Um, I, I'm Barry Taylor. I'm in uh, London. And uh, it's hard to say what I do really now. <laughs> I moved back here at four, four years ago from uh, L.A., but well, m- mainly at the moment, I'm I'm uh, teaching for uh, an organisation called GCAS, the Global Centre for Advanced Studies. Um, I'm heading up uh, a new um, radical theology uh, degree program that's kind of exploring um, philosophy, psychoanalysis, and its intersections with the theological and. Uh, I walk around London <laughs> looking at art and uh and write a little bit here and there. I've been doing some writing on art of late. Mm. And you have a, you have a great Instagram page that I love to follow or several actually. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, UK bloke and situationist Jesus, who, uh, yeah, which is kind of a, a, no, it's not a parody account. I don't know what that is. It's just this, it's an experiment in situationist, Dadaist, uh, putting words into the mouth of Jesus for the masses. Yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really interesting. And, it, and I, I've noticed, I could be wrong, but over the last couple of weeks, I, I could tell some of it has been inspired by aspects of Byung-Chul Han's work. I, I don't know if that's yeah, true, but... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, I, I, I sort of, sometimes I, 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 I mean, it's, you know, it's a cartoon. So there's like <laughs> a very limited, there's a very limited speech bubble, but um, I... Uh, I take some ideas and sort of break them down to bare essence. And sometimes, you know, so it's a mix of um, things I'm reading, things I'm thinking. So, yeah, I mean, I'm reading a bit more. I was already reading uh, Young Child, and then this came up, so I've been reading more. Awesome. I am so happy to hear that. Okay, uh, Elizabeth? Hi. So I have my PhD is in religion, really women's studies in religion, so kind of looking at various um religions like through the lens of feminism and gender and um, i'm a professor here in colorado i teach an intro to philosophy class and composition and research and literature and creative writing and various various classes so and uh, i started an independent study uh in philosophy during the pandemic and now i'm trying to get um my or a, a degree i guess in philosophy because i'm kind of obsessed and i'm trying to read through all of the books of han so i think i have three left and one is like coming is that is that absence the one that's coming yes okay yeah, so absence. all right we, we we may have to discuss that one together that that'll be interesting yeah Okay, well, well, thank you all for for just kind of the brief introductions. And, uh, you know, I I, I kind of had a quote from the book that I kind of wanted to just throw out there just to see if that could be kind of a, a starting point for the conversation. Um, on, on page 41 in, in the chapter Fantasy, he, he says, The contemporary crisis in literature and the arts stems from a crisis of fantasy, the disappearance of the other. This is the agony of Eros. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and, and what really kind of stuck out to me is just the line, the disappearance of the other, this is the agony of Eros. What, what do you think he means by that? Do, do, do you think that kind of captures maybe the heart of what he's trying to argue in the book? The disappearance of the other and, and the agony of Eros? I think that's well, really... Think, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, go no. ahead. I was just going to say, I wonder... Um, what he thinks the crisis in art actually is like what his criticism is of the creative content that's that's out there i don't know if anyone knows that's a that's a question i had too i'm i'm not i'm not sure i i wonder if barry has any thoughts on that um no not particularly i mean i i i think my 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 general take would be hit that it's just part of his overall critique of um where he feels society is uh, at the moment and, and I, I know um you know that's taken up a little bit in the, in the book on beauty right i think that's that talks a lot of stuff about that eric might be more familiar even than me with, with that i think 
Well, I, I think what he's referring to is, and this is a phrase that recurs throughout many of his books, the inferno of the same. Mm. That is to say, a failure of something that really defies standing categories to come into view. So when he says the agony of Eros, I think there are two meanings that he has in mind. One is um, the death of Eros. I mean, its absence from uh, of the contemporary world. And the other one is the fact that it actually is something agonizing, erotic experience or this deep kind of love is transformative and uh, not necessarily pleasant, but also uh, painful, too, at times. So um, I think uh, when he uh, has um, disparaging things to say about the contemporary cultural world or art or literature, it's uh, he's referring to the uh, absence of something that really has this kind of primal power um, that uh, certainly art and literature can have. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what I'm thinking of is Audre Lorde's essay, The Uses of uh, the Erotic. Uh, it's, I think it was maybe published in 78. And she says that Eros or the erotic is a creative energy. And I think that it's hard to be really creative and expressive um, in a holistic sense when um, artists are so focused on surviving and, um, you know, uh, I guess maybe even profit. I think about the YouTube creators that have to focus on the algorithm and uh, hashtags and keywords. And I think all of that pressure of, you know, trying to make, a, a, I guess, a life and pay for life out of their art uh, kind of reduces the creative expression because you're limited by what the algorithm wants or what the viewers of your art want. I think that's a great point. You know, I, I wonder, Barry, uh, one thing you mentioned to me before is um, maybe to connect it to Elizabeth's point that nowadays, wh whether it's art or even forms of like thought, people just post so much. And with I guess with his notion of the transparency society, everything's so out there that that maybe it is kind of the inferno of the same. There's nothing really new or unique it's it's all just out there for us to see well yeah i mean i i, I think that's a, you know that inferno of the same it is it, it's a fascinating term and, and and i think it really does capture something of the moment although as i said to you i i think in that in that talk that that we had the one thing that i i i do think um it is interesting is that I, I, I think the, the, the sort of shift to digitality has, has changed many, changed a lot of things, but, it, but it's also brought into focus a lot of things that were um, happening pre-digitally. Um, in, in, in a sense, w within like modern society, you know, you know that that sort of championing of this 
idea of you know the uniqueness of the individual while you know channeling people into kind of avenues and channels of uh, of kind of sameness along along the way i mean i've been i was thinking a lot about this uh book today i mean i and this is a little bit of a tangent, but but it's interesting that we're having this conversation about the agony of Eros and and particularly the two points that uh, Eric just raised on, on Good Friday, which mm. might be actually in some ways a kind of a visceral example of a particular kind of agonization of, uh, you know, Eros, if you think about I, I don't know the the idea of you know crucifixion and uh, and I was thinking about that in terms of you know his whole notion of like self negation. I mean I know the 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 correct theological term uh, for Christ on the cross is kenosis, you know self emptying, um, but the way the way um, it gets um, interpreted so often through theological lenses christian religious lenses particularly is is a very uh much more of about a self a self-negating thing mm-hmm. which worries me a little bit about this book actually it's the one uh, it's the one it's the one worry i have about some of his uh thinking but I just got off on a tangent there. Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, does anyone have a response? I mean, I kind of want to go there because I, I was hoping we would be critical and just bring up kind of potential issues as well. Maybe you could just maybe elaborate a little bit. We can maybe respond. And well, it's not even. It's funny, I, I, and I find this happens a lot um, with me when I'm reading through his works because because I, I really like them. I, th- I think I, I, I think he, he's a, a, and and I love the um the kind of short grenades that he sort of throws into to the world you know they're they're all you know these little books that are that are very potent and i but i find myself so often going i I hate your binaries i hate i was thinking that today too this either or but then when he gets to his point i'm like but i like your point so (laughs) But I do worry, I, I, and I think this is probably because I know, you know, he, he studied Catholic theology. And Catholicism, I think, is quite fascinating because on one level, it's very kind of worldly in the sense that, you know, it's a sacramental interpretation of uh, of christianity and and in some ways um catholicism handles material existence much better than protestantism does because protestantism wants to negate all you know imagery and and all that kind of stuff but there's also a very i think unhealthful self-negation that permeates most of uh Contemporaries Christian, contemporary Christianity's perspective on the self. Mm. And I worry a little bit. About, and, and that's, I think, because we read everything with our own histories and memory that, that, that we bring to it. And after many years uh, of involvement in v- at various levels w- within forms of, uh, of Christianity, uh, I, I always get a little squirmy around 
notions of self-negation, but I understand what he means. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I like where he goes, but, but, but every once in a while I, I, I find myself just going, ah, that's kind of, um, it's a bit too Catholic for me. Yeah. But, but as I said, but then he makes this point and I'm like, well, I, I don't like how you got there, but, <laughs> but I like what you, I like what you came up with. So, uh, you know, so, so I'll, 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 I'll go with that. But, but, yeah. I, but also I, th- I think, um, and then I'll shut up. <laughs> I, I, I think that it, 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 with books like, well, with all books, but with books like this, it, it's important that, that you kind of, make your point kind of sharply. And I wonder yeah. sometimes if what to me seems to be a, a, a lack of nuance. I mean, he's read Hegel, so he obviously understands contradiction, but, uh, but sometimes I wonder what, you know, where, where, where that, where that lurks within it. And I know that's not perhaps one of the big draw things from, from Hegel that he, he draws, but, but, um, I don't know. So I, this is a fast. This is a fascinating book. Um, I, it I, is because I think he does scratch at the the real cultural itch around not only notions about sameness, you know, and those threads that run through, but but what's what's happened to eros within the arc of modern modern times that's been accelerated through technology and, and digitality. Mm. I think I'd, rather, I'd rather talk about vampires. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I definitely see what you're saying, but when I think of, for instance, the medieval, oh, sorry about that. Um, when I think about the medieval mystics, like, um, Angela Foligno, you know, she is uh, going into her room in a solitary way and trying to, you know, annihilate her her ego so she can unite with Christ. And it is very erotic because she has these visions and these senses of, you know, Christ like caressing her cheek and she is getting close to the sacrificial body. And I think that Han may be kind of goes in this direction because what he really wants and why he kind of takes uh, Eros as his focus, as, you know, the kind of love that he feels that we need to re-encounter is because he is focused on transformation. He He wants encounters with others and with the self that is transformative. And it's not just kind of, um, a narrative that stops that you annihilate the self and, and, and that's it. You know, you have the salvation and there's nothing after it's more like a death and a rebirth mm. and a death and a rebirth and a dialectic between that, where you are getting rid of what, uh, you're getting rid of your fear and you're getting rid of what protects you. Like I think of the palliative society that he's written and he, um, critiqued uh, a lot of what happened during the pandemic because he said that he felt as a society, we were sacrificing life, which is, you know, painful if we're sensitive to pleasure and, and, you know, pain, I guess, um, that tension 
um, we're sacrificing it for, for health and survival. And I think he just wants a deeper experience of living. Mm. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, again, I, I, I saw, I, I, I like where he winds up. I just, I just wrestle personally with threading. Like I, I find, I find the whole mystical tradition in immensely uh, fascinating. But um, there's some the but the ultimate transcendent goal of the mystic is, is something that I find somewhat problematic. So I, just, I, I, oh, sorry. What's I that? Jump in here with an eruption of the other. Yeah, I, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was hoping we get. Is it a he or a she? It's a he. This hoping, is a Jarvis the cat. So Jarvis. I apologize that uh, he's uh, he doesn't really you know think too deeply on these matters, but uh, he is a uh, yeah. profound yeah. presence, nevertheless. I mean, in his in his. Uh, single mindedness um, <laughs> but i just wanted to to mention briefly that uh in this context um the uh example that he uses at the beginning of the book which is Lars von Trier's melancholia yeah. so that's actually not self annihilation or it is self annihilation that is also annihilation of the entire world yeah and um, that is uh, pure negativity in 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 a way that can't be uh, dialectically uh, uh, resolved. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah it's uh, that, that's an interesting. I mean, yeah. To start there is a very interesting uh, place to be, and that's where I, I sort of. I guess that's in some ways why I sort of pull back a little bit at the the kind of that. Yeah, I, I guess I just want to say that you know the self negation is probably just the words in my head. It's not because it's not it's not the end goal. It's just um, I, I there's just so much baggage around that in the worlds that I've. I've come from. Well, Barry, um, can I ask? Because I, I, I have the same sort of visceral reaction, and I, I know I can't speak for you, but I'm, I'm curious if some of that is tied up in like the ways that you know strands of Christianity have connected self-negation to kind of forms of sexuality, like sexual ethics, which, which is interesting because that comes up a little bit in the book with with pornography. Although he has kind of an interesting take on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I. I yeah. I'm just a big fan of life. And, and, and I, yeah. What is it I want to say? Cause, cause I, I, I feel like I'm sounding like I'm not a fan of the book and I'm actually really a big fan of the book. It's just there. But, but, but I also think, you know, as I said, when we read, we read, um, we read ourselves into the, into the sentences uh, uh, as well, and we also read the worlds that that we in, we inhabit, and uh, there there is just I, I think it's it's a a term that's fraught with difficulty, mm. but I understand in dialogue with a culture that's obsessed with uh, the self in certain ways and directed towards. Um, this kind of um, 
over-the-top transparency and uh, this perceived uniqueness that is really just exactly the same as what everybody else is doing. I I I, I do under I understand the terminology. I I, I I think I have a question for y'all. Then so as because you know of course I wanted to discuss the book, but I, I was hoping it would just launch us into just you know thinking with Han on on certain issues. I wonder if everyone could just say something about how they understand negativity. Because I think that's such an important concept for him. And and, and maybe that's what you're pushing against a little bit, Barry. Like, I, I'm just curious. When you say you love life, I wonder where negativity comes into that understanding of life. There's maybe one way well, to put it. Well, I, well, I'm English, so, you know. <laughs> so, you know, the English, it's like... The glass is neither half empty or half full. It's, is there a glass? So, <laughs> no, I, from a personal perspective, I understand negativity. Uh, no, I, I mean when I say I love life, I don't. I don't. I don't mean therefore I'm all about um, positivity. I, I I understand the 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 the, the concept behind the need for uh, the the self negation that he's talking about, and you know, and and I wholeheartedly agree with his you know his comments on. Um, like you know, dating and relationships, and because uh, I've said from the get-go that I I think most dating apps are basically just risk management devices. Mm. That their goal is risk management. You're trying to edit out all of the the incalculables so that you can have the thing that you want that you can only get through incalculability. But we've tricked ourselves into thinking, oh no no no, you just you know you just don't have the right personal algorithm going to 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 get that that's so, so good i like that um so i i um i for so for me the 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 negative is 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 very important because i think it's it's the 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 counterweight and and the the i mean i, th- I think it's probably the heart of what it what what it means to be human really mm. is to come with with um the 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 negative you know or whether you know you might want to call it the void or the lack or or, or whatever you have to sort of come face to face with that and 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 again i i think in in our present predicaments we we are always turned against that but i don't think that's just purely now i think that's been part of the arc of the modern world for quite some time is this running away from uh, death? I mean, if you know, if Hegel was talking about it in the 18th century. Um, I, you know, it, it's only it's only got worse. I don't know. I'm I'm waffling too much. Let somebody else speak. Was the, <laughs> what, what, maybe, what maybe the cat? Yeah, what do you maybe think the cat yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe maybe the cat. <laughs> maybe the well. So uh, yeah, negativity is what the cat lacks uh, because <laughs> the cat is incapable of change. He might engender change by uh, getting, you know, somewhere where he doesn't belong and producing a whole series of uh, events that are, uh, at least on a minor scale, transformative. But uh, the cat himself won't change. Human beings, on the other hand, uh, thanks to negative negativity, are capable of changing things because negativity is when you break something down and see what it's made out of. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say early. I mean, that's the sort of Hegelian. Uh, view of it and that's why it can also lead to something a kind of positivity uh of which 
Byung Chul Han would not disapprove, um, <clears throat> which which isn't this ready-made positivity, this uh, inferno of the same, this uh, constant you know swiping on the dating app to just see a hundred versions of the same guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, what do you think, Elizabeth, in terms of negativity? Um, I think that his idea of negativity um, is tied up with, uh, or his idea of positivity is tied up with production mm. and commodification. Because he, he says Eros is the kind of love that cannot be commodified. And um, yeah, so. You know, it, do you guys have a sense of how he would define Eros? <laughs> well, I think the agony part is important in the second sense I mentioned, which is the pain. Mm, yeah. I mean, because precisely what these dating apps and so forth uh, make you miss is all all of the messy, painful parts of love. It's it's it is it is much more like a like a shrink wrapped, ready made um, consumer product that you can get. At least uh, that's that's how the um, the companies seem to envision it. So eros is agony. I, I would say uh, it is this profoundly uh, physical, physically and mentally wrenching experience. That's when he um, quotes Ficino uh, it, early in the book. I think um, the the quote is much to that effect. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, catching the lover's eyes and the the flame and the fire that gets transferred back. Yeah. I think it has to do with um, kind of a spiritual awakening. It has to do with longing. He has some comments about um, teasing and flirtation and distance and um, how too much information and this desire to possess the other or control the other or um, how, like, for instance, get your the passwords to your significant other's tech, like all of that kind of kills the spark of desire that creates longing and that creates life. So I, mm. I think it has to do, it doesn't have to be something that we can only characterize and attribute to romantic or sexual relationships because he really talks about it, um, you know, just in terms of our human experience and navigating how we navigate life. You know, I think a lot of people measure their time they optimize they have a schedule they have these bullet planners and they wake up and they know what they're going to do every single hour and then that's a productive day but when i think about the erotic i think about like the movie amelie where she is uh, at first you get this kind of um vignette of series of vignettes of um i guess like couples kind of reaching their maximum pleasure. And then you see Amelie and she is walking out into the city barefoot or she is putting her hand, dipping her hand into a vat of dry beans. And just the idea of like, like feeling the warm sun on your, on your body. And that it's kind of a, a sensuality that I think Han is detecting probably rightly so that we're missing in our lives when we're focused so much on being productive people. Mm. And, and also, lest we forget, he, of course, uh, talks uh, a great deal about Socrates and Plato and, and the big distinction there uh, in the symposium is between epithemia, which is just the gratification of a physical 
desire and eros, which is this famously sort of disembodied spiritual thing. Mm. Right. It's kind of intellectual, like being charged and feeling desire from like an intellectual exchange. Like it has so much more to do than just something that, um, I guess, pornography reduces just sex to. Can can we go? Unless Barry, I, I can't tell if you have a thought you want to let out. No, carry on. Okay, I, I I was just curious. You know, this is some great stuff, Elizabeth. Like, could could we could we go a little bit into the chapter on pornography and just talk about you know what what his point was, what you guys think? Would would anyone have kind of a different take on things? Just really quickly, I would say that he's basically all that pornography is to him is an amped up version of these dating apps or Facebook. Okay, it's it's just it's it's, again, it's the inferno of the same. You don't encounter anything different and surprising or transformative. Uh, You you just have a um, a ready made uh, product. Yeah. Yeah, I love how he labels like this selfie on Instagram as pornographic. It's just it's just your face. You can have so many expressions, just you know, full frontal face. And there's no mystery, there's no artistry, there's no um, you know, I guess, yeah, creative sort of thought to it. What what's what's interesting to me is um that while um while all of that is is occurring um all the time there's also a uh, a remarkably robust um and growing desire amongst more and more people for the 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 things that he he says are are missing so uh you know i mean interest in sort of mystery religions and mysticism and magic and things like that it, mm. it, it's probably bigger now than it has been in in decades and 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 i i i think that uh that that's both uh a result of probably well i i guess what it is is that 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 i think most of the time we live in a a sort of state of of both and and it's yes it's sort of um the 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 sort of transparent pornography of the times in which we live but but humans also, we, we we also seem to somehow still hold out for the things that are in direct opposition or um, contradiction to the direction that we're going, and uh, I, I I think sometimes a little bit of that is 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 missed in his kind of uh, direct sort of analysis of certain things. We're, like because the what what's happening I, I think particularly on online it is to me it's symptomatic not causal there are other there are other dynamics at work and the 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 revelations online are 
are, are the sort of visual results of what what's going on in in in, in sort of the way that culture is ha- heading. Which is why I, which is why I, I'm so fascinated by his um, hunger to direct people towards other ways of thinking about life. Mm. But I also worry that the the critique sometimes isn't tempered by an awareness that people do still hunger. And maybe that's, maybe I'm not feeling, maybe that's just not, you know, maybe, maybe that's what I'm looking for. And, uh, you, you know, you, you can't always get what you want as <laughs> one of the great philosophers of the 20th century. <laughs> but um I, you know so I, I i i don't know you know like i said at the beginning i i i love i, lo- I love this book i love this I, I i love his work i love his thinking i i just but i but i'm not a big um black and white person so and sometimes it feels a bit more black and white than i than i am i think that's the the, the wrestle that i go so again I, 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 I like his whole take on um, what, you know, what sort of point, I mean, he's pretty blunt. I think, I think I just went by it, but, you know, pornography is a matter of bare life on display. I mean, that's how, that's the opening line of the, uh, of the chapter on, on, on porn. And, you know, the antagonist of Eros, it annihilates even sexuality in this respect. It's more effective than morality. Um, I mean, you know, and, and, you know, the profanation, you know, it profanes the erotic. I mean, you know, uh, you know, he has a little takedown of a gamden a little bit, you know, um, uh, and, uh, I, so, um, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I, I think it's really good. I think it's really good. Um, but then at the end of it, um, he talks about the, I mean, what I thought was interesting in this chapter actually is, is at the end when he talks about Baudrillard and Baudrillard put in seduction and opposition to love. And the last section, he says, ritual is in the realm of seduction. Love is born from the destruction of ritual forms from their liberation. Its energy is an energy of the dissolution of these forms. And I and, and I think in some ways his, his big argument is that these forms, these ways in which we've been living, they need to be dissolved. You know, mm. we, we need to see them. You know, we need to see the dissolution of these things so that we can move past bare life or a pornographic experience of uh, of existence. And I, I I couldn't agree more. Mm. So there's my dichotomy. <laughs> Well, I think it's an interesting critique that, Barry, that you keep bringing up. And I I agree in part about the terms and the concepts. And so I wanted to ask Eric, as translator, do you feel that sometimes Han um, fails to create nuance or consider alternative views or define his terms in a way that helps us distinguish the kind of, like, let's say, narcissism he's talking about? Mm-hmm. Is he talking? He says depression is nar- is narcissistic. 
Is he talking about a colloquial kind of understanding of narcissism or what we understand as a clinical understanding? Because you can't really, you know, not everyone is a narcissist. If you're really talking about mental illness, that's like less than 5% of the human population, but he never really like specifies that. So do you, do you feel that at all? It's a great question. Well, I'm struck by the fact uh, that every single thing he uh, has written that I've read at any rate is so completely polemical. Um, It's it's that is so he doesn't spend any time uh, presenting an alternative vision. He's working destructively. I mean, to, to tear down um, the illusions and mystifications uh, of the, of the world uh, we live in. And so uh, in that regard, yeah, I think a big deficit, if you're looking for uh, something that um, uh, <clears throat> does suggest a path forward, that's a, that's a, that's a big deficit in his work. It does seem as if he, and I know he likes Heidegger, but it, it does seem like he's a bit Heideggerian. Like he does work a little bit with etymology. And I just wondered, and I know that you have put as translator um, some really great footnotes about, you know, what the word is in German and all the different meanings that it can have. And Heidegger is kind of famous for saying this word, let's look at the four different meanings and they all kind of work with, you know, what his message Um do you feel that he um, that he does enough with uh, the German and etymology? And is that a, and just another translator question, is that difficult in translating his works into English because there are nuances that maybe an English reader wouldn't get? Oh, well, that's certainly, that's the big problem with translation period and especially translating uh, German philosophy and philosophical Typewriting. So there are these notorious examples from Freud where he uses these everyday uh, expressions and then they become these crazy sort of neo-Latin Greek monsters like, you know, scopophilia and parapraxis and, uh, you know, even ego, uh, super ego and id. I mean, that's that's dressing up something that in uh, German would simply be I, the above I and the it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that is, it is very difficult to, um, to, uh, do that directly, uh, in English, uh, because in German, the sort of etymological substrate of a word is much more apparent, whereas we have to make a detour, generally speaking, into either Greek or, or Latin. Um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there is a lot. There's something very Heideggerian about him. I would say, though, that most of all, and this just is a reiteration of the point I, I made previously, I think, so it might not be that deep, but uh, the 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 biggest debt he has is to Nietzsche. I mean, with and the whole idea of philosophizing with a hammer or the twilight of the idols and kind of taking this. I mean, and that's actually also very un-Catholic, interestingly enough, just given his background. To, to be so iconoclastic, but but that is, I think, the animating uh, gesture behind his his work as a whole is is really this um, this work of destruction. Destruction also being a key term uh, for Heidegger. Uh, Heidegger um, spoke of the destruction of of metaphysics, um, which is which is something along those lines. 
destruction of this world of, of, of illusion and 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 uh, and um, seemingly uh, real things that are in fact fabrications. Mm. And which gets nicely translated usually as overcoming metaphysics, so it's more palatable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I, I, I think it's it's the it's the polemical nature of his writing that I both love and balk against, because I, uh, I'm because I'm not a I, I'm not a single theory person anyway. I'm not looking for someone to tell me how the world works in, in in you know and give me the whole the whole scheme but i do like someone with a a strong view and he definitely has a, a a strong view and it largely is i don't know if disparaging maybe a little despairing but also perhaps um tinge with a little bit of uh a, maybe a little bit of hope I, uh, or uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, there must be hope, otherwise he probably wouldn't 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 write. But but um, but 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 it is the the but it is then the the polemic because you know when I when I it was funny that you brought that up, Elizabeth, about you know depression and and negativity. I was like, I mean, narcissism. I'm like, that's brutal. I mean, that literally, I, I might have written that in in the book. Actually, that that's brutal and. Um, and and so, um, I mean, that's a big umbrella to put, you know, to to just sort of kind of write off the whole thing. But of, as he writes, you know, you, you kind of do sense um, how how he sees those things. But um, I, you have to sort of pick your way. You have to sort of pick your battle with it with his concepts in 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 general and like i said i i I come down on 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 the positive side uh i I mean i i've I've read i think most of the things uh that are out in uh, english and um it's really funny i i read this book when it came out with uh a, a theological reading group that i used to run in pasadena Mm. and three of the guys in it were Korean, and they all said he's racist. <laughs> really? Can can you speak reading to that? This, reading this, reading this book, which is interesting. I don't, you know, they had some very strong opinions about. It. They they felt very. Um, one of them said it. I, it's like talking to my father, mm. which I, you know, I don't know. I'm not Korean, so. Far be it from me to make a judgment. It was just, it was just surprising. They were very, it was, they were very uncomfortable with, with, uh, the, and we'd read other ones and they really liked it. This one, for some reason, mm. they, they were just like, oh, this is like, it's like your father telling you about women, one of my friends. <laughs> and I just thought, well, that's it. That's an intro, you know, I mean, yeah, I think you do have to take into account, um, the worlds that people, in in that we all inhabit you know we all come from somewhere we all write from various places and i mean the the trajectory of his life is so fascinating you know the poetry the, the sort of zen the catholicism the metallurgy degree i mean that's a good place to start yeah well and i love what and eric i don't know if you were going to say that i love what you've pointed out in previous conversations that whereas many people 
in the West find otherness going to the East, you know, he's from the East and found sort of otherness in the West. And then, and I know for me, he is a figure of otherness. I mean, I, I have a lot of the reservations that Barry has, but I think part of why I enjoy reading him is I want to be confronted with something I don't agree with or don't like necessarily because I, w- I want to be challenged mm. with with something kind of foreign, something other. I don't know if that yeah. resonates with anybody else. It's kind of nice to to read a book that makes you feel so passionately, even if it's, you know, you want to scream and say, I wish I could just have you here to like, have you answer some questions because this is not how I see the world. So um, I like that. I think it's, it's, you know, uh, better to read a book that makes you feel deeply than one that really doesn't make an impact. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it's really good. I mean, I th- one of the reasons I, I I like to read and continue to to read uh, his, his work is because I I I think it it f- demands that you uh, think think it through for yourself and go well mm. you know what do I think about this then do I, you know, I mean, I, I guess like anything, you could just take it at face value and just run with it. Um, but, but, but if you, if you have a conceptual difficulty, I think that's actually a gift in, in, in a work. And I think that's the benefit of these small books Yes, is they, because really there isn't room in a book like this to explain what he means by narcissism really. And it wouldn't be helpful if it would. Right. Because it would disrupt the the arc of the you know these these short little um, things that he just sort of hurls at you you know mm. darts of love if you like if we're going to stay with the love theme you know but um, but but I but I but and it does arouse this uh, world of feelings because ultimately I I think he has really captured the essence of what is occurring in a broad brushstroke across the cultural landscape within the horizon of digitality. It's what falls outside of that and how that gets dealt with that I, that I think is um, the challenge that everybody's faced with because, you know, we're, we're not living completely online yet. You know, mm. we're not, fully into the the metaverse quite yet but we seem to be heading there and you know that's gonna be even more interesting and it's gonna make this kind of transparency concept and you know this bear like i mean i don't know sorry there's a lot here no there's the a lot life, i mean the whole bear life concept is it's it's so it's it's true and it seems that people don't want a bare life, like the whole the whole world of the internet is all about having your best life, but it creates actually the poorest version of your best life, you know. Mm. Uh, and and yet outside of that, we, you know, I mean, the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, if, if you're living in Britain at the moment, you know, all that happens every week is all the prices go up, and people, uh, it's it's a less than bare life that that people have even access to, you, you know. Mm. And, and I think that requires other conversations and, and other reflections. But but he's right, you know, we, we're, 
we're we're running on empty and looking for emptiness to 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 fill us back up but it's the wrong kind of emptiness it's you know the emptiness of positivity not the emptiness of negativity mm. and i think the the right kind of emptiness would be basically ascetic for him i yeah. mean he he seems very much like a sort of latter day monk uh you know or or de- or um church father in the desert kind of staving off all of the demons and illusions yeah. uh and that that are besetting him and uh he encourages that sort of bearing in others that which was my which is what I was trying to say which you just said summed up for me at the beginning <laughs> that's really what I was trying to say it's 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 too monastic for me right well and 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 where i i i resonate with aspects of all that stuff i i just don't see it as sustainable for most people maybe that's just a personal opinion but that's part of what rose me against rose me the wrong way about him and his approaches i i wonder realistically can the mass of humanity really move in the direction that he's pointing i don't know maybe i'm just too much of a pessimist i'm not sure oh i'm sure he doesn't think that it can okay <laughs> i mean again i just keep thinking of nietzsche you know zarathustra um, a book for everyone and no one you know the uh, nietzsche's contempt for the herd mentality his dislike of uh you know, just the the great unwashed, as it were. He's he's a real aristocrat uh, in his spiritual bearing. That's Nietzsche. I don't know about Byung-Chul Han, but if he were, that wouldn't terribly surprise me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this, yeah, that that element of world hating mm. or world, culture despising is. Uh, always a challenge but as i said but i understand sure elizabeth do you think that he really i mean he has these critiques but i think that's because he loves the world so much Mm. he he has this this loving longing for um you know and nostalgia kind of for some of the things of the past you know when he talks about like the disappearance of rituals that he wants to bring back a sense, even perhaps in his monastic minimalism, a sense of community and deep, intimate relations with each other instead of just these superficial, ego-driven encounters. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> God, I sound so negative. My 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 problem with my problem with monastic, monastic mentality and mystical mentality is that it always seems to think that the past holds the secret and the shadow of the past in some sense holds the present hostage. So it's always, always, not always, that's wrong. It's often freighted as a recovery of something ancient rather than the discovery of a new sort of iteration that matches the time in which we live. I mean, it's worth remembering that, you know, monasticism and, you know, mysticism were, uh, I mean, monasticism was part of a, a cultural hierarchy, you know, and they did religion for people. You know, the religious were the monastics and, and the clerics. People weren't religious, um, 
that was a strata of uh, of society and um and we don't live in that world anymore and we ca- and we will never live in that world again and so i i think the challenge then is how does the spirit of those things how, how can those be made uh vital and new moving this way rather than that way i think that's the the challenge that that's what, that that's sort of really where my sort of theological work has been for a, a long time so i guess that's my little bugbear or whatever but um i you know i i do think he he loves the world but i also think he hates the world and i think both are 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 uh, apparent and 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 to eric's point i you know that that kind of church father thing they sort of love the world but they want it to be so they and they want it to be different yeah of course and i uh, i agree with that but what does you know in in a world like ours where those there there can't there there isn't a return to those manifestations of community and also there you know community does exist today you know sometimes people talk like everybody's i mean like these things don't exist but but they do they just exist differently and not right. enough but they do exist yeah God, i'm talking much i'm sorry <laughs> no no it's good Elizabeth, did you have a response or did you have a thought on that? Elizabeth's very smart, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm just standing in awe like of everyone's intelligence here. I'm just thinking of Wendy Brown's um, article, The Timeliness or the Untimeliness of Crisis. And the original uh, of, of, yeah, so the original um, understanding of critique so the untimeliness of critique, I think, is what her essay is called. Um, it has its origins in the word crisis. And what you do in a crisis um, is you work to preserve what you can. And so um, I think Han's critique is productive. He wants to um, sort of save something. He wants us to, to turn our attention and reorient us to what we might be losing if we go let's say even the road the 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 path of transhumanism you know what of our soul and our spirit are we are we losing and missing so i think that anyone who who is willing to critique something has has a love for it and uh and it doesn't necessarily mean that um, he wants to to go back and be a Luddite and, you know, go back to the Middle Ages, make America great again or whatever that is, you know, that has kind of a relationship to this. Um, I think there's there's reconstruction probably like I would give him the benefit of the doubt and figure that, you know, he has his ideas on how we can how we can draw from the past and remember from the past to make sure that we are being intentional as we move forward with technology and ourselves. And I would also say about the monastic tradition, it wasn't necessarily 
um, just structures of power. When I think about women going into uh, to the religious communities, they did it so they could have a space that they could read and learn and write and be alone and pursue their own spiritual, emotional, personal development. And what they did for the community was um, trying to be more dynamically, fearlessly in life and with others in their road to transcendence. So I think there's a lot of positive kind of learning, knowledge, spiritual enlightenment elements of the monastic periods of the past, um, say like the 13th, the 12th centuries that Byung-Chul Han um, probably would uh, appreciate him being an academic and, you know, finding a lot of a, a lot of, um, I don't know, benefit to study. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, those are great. Those are really good points and and and, and well taken. And and uh, yeah, if if I if I if I was trying to convey, I, it wasn't even. I, I wasn't sort of trying to say it was just about power. It, it was more about the way in which. Um, it worked within the the structure of the society uh, uh, at that time, and I, I I mean I'm I spend I and I've done quite uh, uh, I mean I'm fascinated by the the female mystics of the you know twelfth thirteenth and fourteenth century in in, in northern Europe, uh, and, and and I think that the the role that you know mysticism and monasticism played for certain women in that period is really both fascinating and uh and important um but again i i i still think that there's a a a slight romanticizing of uh Well, they're still talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's another conversation. That's that's a god conversation. So <laughs> do you, for, we'll say that when we talk to yeah. about Eric and his Satan book. <laughs> yeah. Do do, do, do do you guys think we have one, uh, time for just one more kind of uh, exploration? I'm, I'm I'm wanting to maybe go to the last chapter, the end of theory, because I think there was a lot of interesting stuff in that, and I'm I'm wondering if you guys have any kind of final thoughts. In fact, maybe, maybe I can just kind of read this paragraph to kind of set it up. And just maybe have you guys respond to it. Um, so he says, theories are founded on thinking in an emphatic sense. Theory represents an essential decision that causes the world to appear wholly different in a wholly different light. Theory is a primary primordial decision which determines what counts and what does not, what is or should be, and what does not matter. As highly selective narration it cuts a clearing of differentiation through untrodden terrain. And then he says, there is no such thing as data-driven thinking. And, you know, he's going against the whole idea of just accumulating data and calculation. I know there's a lot there, but any any kind of thoughts on that? Well, the Greek word theory does uh, refer, among other things, to a ritual procession, and interestingly enough. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, if if my uh, <clears throat> recollection serves me well. Uh, so, 
I mean, I think the main point throughout this book and everything else he writes is the uh, importance of asymmetry. He just really has this dislike for things that um, wind up falling uh, out, that wind up looking like they've been, they're on graph paper, as it were. Mm. And anything that can be enlisted to uh, to create some imbalance and a warp and uh, and a little discontinuity is uh, good in his mind because that means not settling for the world of appearances that we're plunged in. So um, uh, theory would serve that purpose because it is, as he says, emphatic. It, it stress it takes some things over. Other things, and and also the word crisis is related to the Greek word for judging. Um, and he's really about making judgment calls, whether they're right or not. They have an inherent value uh, because they uh, do not content themselves with um, a state of affairs that's uh, defined in advance. Mm. Do you, Lisa, or? Or excuse, not Lisa. Sorry, Elizabeth or Barry. Do, do you guys have any thoughts on kind of theory and, and and what he's trying to say with that in terms of contrasting with the data driven thinking and the calculation of information? Well, he opens up with um, Heidegger. So I just think back to Heidegger's "What Is Thinking," and uh, Heidegger has kind of a, a trinity. Let's see if I can remember them of what thought or thinking is. It's thankfulness, memory, and Eric, do you remember? Yeah, I'm afraid it's been too long. All I know is that he keeps saying, we're not thinking yet. We're not thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, I think he he says that, and this also might be in maybe one of his essays about technology, that um, in our industrial age, we treat everything as standing reserve, and therefore we treat ourselves as standing reserve. And I think what he is meant, he is referring to is just kind of the utilitarian approach that we have to something. We feel good about ourselves again, if we're productive, etc. And uh, in bringing in the temporality kind of aspect of Heidegger and Hahn, it takes time to mm. reflect takes time to think, to um, remember, to cultivate knowledge, um, to gather evidence, to be in dialogue with someone. Like I think about, you know, how many of our programs today are hour long or two hour long discussions, you know, really getting to the heart of something instead of, you know, shooting out memes or or whatever it is. Like I about, I think I was mentioning to you, QK on the phone about um, manufacturing intellect with Brian McGee. And mm. it's like a series in the 70s and 80s of he, he just sits on a couch and has like a professor or a philosopher just come in and they just have this really composed, nice, polite discussion. But it takes time and it takes attention. And I think a, a lot of the critique that Han has about technology and maybe this ties into thought and theory that we just uh, we're shifting away from the temporality that we would need to do that, to have discourse, to have democracy. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Now, and maybe this is a little bit of the postmodern in me. Is there a danger that theory becomes totalizing or, or, you know, 
closes things off in a way that it shouldn't. I mean, because I don't think he highlights that possibility as much in in that chapter. But but maybe I'm getting that off. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. What, well, every time he, oh, sorry, no, go ahead, please. Every time he mentions somebody like Agamben, he's talking about the perils of theory because it's clear that he has no respect for uh, you know what what he's saying, and uh, <laughs> I would be inclined to agree with him there. But. <laughs> Gotcha. So, so he recognizes the perils of theory. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he he has these. He, he's pretty good at sort of one line put downs. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have I don't have um, any references ready, but you know, he'll say something to the. He'll just quote someone and say something to the effect of, you know, you know, this is utter nonsense. I mean, and yeah. <laughs> Eric, did you, as a translator, do you get to work with the author at all? Did you, was there any back and forth between you? There there really wasn't any exchange, like an email or two. But, um, you know, again, I uh, I mean, I, I got this idea about uh, monasticism, both from reading the book and uh, from uh, what I know about the author and his uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, tendency not to uh, engage with um the, uh, say the translators of his words. Okay. Oh, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing. Barry, do, do you have any like final thoughts in general or on theory and, and what he says about thinking? I mean, I, I, I think, uh, I, I, I really resonated with, with what Elizabeth said. Um, I do think that, uh, I, I, I also agree that I, I don't think, data is is thinking and mm-hmm. i don't think thinking with data is the same kind of uh thinking as theory theory thinking and you know he, he does say a little further down you know the negativity of the incalculable is inscribed in thinking mm. uh, but he he seems to uh, um have calculated an awful lot of <laughs> as we all do we're all pretty sure that we've covered all the all the bases but but i but i but i i like that and and um you know i i i know you know speaking of heidegger heidegger had that really interesting um thing you know where he talks about um the the end of philosophy and and the task of thinking and and, Mm. and he talked about you know moving past metaphysical theology and a sort of obsession with, you know, I think, what do you call it? The frenzy of rationalization mm. to, you know, to a different kind of theoretical thinking. And, and, and I, I, I can't help but think that that's an impulse here in, in what he's pushing towards, you know, to, to really counter this un this unthinking world. I mean, I, I always, you know, I always say when people go, yeah, but they still have philosophers talking on French television and, you know, and where, you know, where's that going to happen here? You know, because uh, as Elizabeth said, you know, you, you get uh, our, our politics has been reduced to, you know, um, guys holding up signs, uh, you know, on Instagram memes right. and, and, and political, I mean, a political de- debate is now a political shouting match. Mm. You know, we, we seem to have become Neanderthal 
in 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 the moments of uh, of crisis and we resort to these kind of to sloganeering and the nuance of the situation is lost on on the fact that you know the clock is always ticking you know it's like you have 2 minutes for your response right well, yeah but you kind of need 2 days <laughs> And you really need to sort of lay out the the various aspects, but but we we don't, and uh, we haven't for a long time, and even less, even less now. And mm. more things get driven by data. The more you know, the more that happens, mm. which brings us back to the opening chapter and sort of dating, <laughs> and you know, the whole you know notion of. Uh, just everything being the idea that you can calculate and that you can eliminate risk mm-hmm. and the idea that you can eliminate risk from love. I mean, you only have to listen to every other pop song that's been written since about 1956 to know that love is about heartache, heartbreak, loneliness, emptiness, pain, rejection, mm. abandonment, and yet still we keep agonizing about love. That you know, and, and as Leonard Cohen said, there ain't no cure for love. Mm. There's no remedy, and data is certainly not the remedy for it. It is not. He also says true love leaves no traces. Yeah, they you know, are one. It's lost in our embraces like stars against the sun. Yes. Man, See, drop the have, mic. Let's have, let's, have, <laughs> let's have a Leonard Cohen podcast. Yeah, seriously. Wow. <laughs> Get into the theological weeds with Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this was a lot of fun. I mean, I guess before we end, is there anything else that anyone else wants to say about uh, the agony of Eros or Byung Chohan or, or just anything else that's going on in your life? <laughs> Read it. Yeah, definitely read it. And it's it's you know that that's one thing that I will say, you know, I'm 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 the only one in the group that doesn't have a PhD. I'm kind of like an armchair philosopher, I guess. But his his work is quite readable. I I think anyone who maybe gets intimidated by philosophy could could read it and understand most of it, I think. Yeah, to the, the translator. Yes, Eric. <laughs> hey, Eric, I will say I've read other books translated by other people and they're not as good. Uh, well, thank you. That really does mean a lot it, to me. Seriously, um, I, your, your, yours have been the the most readable. I think. <laughs> I I just you know I am but a vessel, as they say. But uh, you know, I guess you can be a leakier or more <laughs> a robust vessel, and I'm glad that I'm uh, keeping it together. <laughs> well, thank you. Say yeah, Elizabeth, please. Oh, I don't know what I was going to say, but. Sappho would agree. Um, she called Eros the bittersweet. Mm. I think that's a good place to end. Okay, Whoa. thank y'all. May- may- maybe we'll do it again sometime. All right. Thank you so much. It was so great to meet you both, Barry and Eric. Absolutely. And uh, continue the conversation. Yes, continue the conversation.
Thank you for listening to the podcast, guys. I'd love to connect with you. Whether that means you sign up for therapy or you send me an email asking a question or maybe even explore what it would look like to get on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. The best way to do that is to find me on my website at kikeautry.com. That's Q-U-I-Q-U-E-A-U-T-R-E-Y.com. Or you can just Google me and there you'll find my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter accounts. You can also go to the website of the practice I work at, where I'm the Leeds Men's Counselor. That's katiecounselingformen.com. I hope that you guys are inspired by what we explore today, and as always, continue the conversation. Mm-hmm.